0: Now we're going to read from the Word of God, reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, and as you're turning there, I just want to renew an invitation again to take part in what we call Growing Together, it's on the back of the bulletin, it's the second announcement And this is simply a way for you to connect to another believer in the congregation and it's just uh, a chance for you on a time that works well for you to be, we pair you up with someone and then you can just meet when it's workable for you and you have a chance to look at the word together, to share life together, to pray for one another. Um, And so I encourage you to consider doing that. Uh, We'll we'll, uh, be taking... Uh, people who want to take part of that—you don't have to be a member. Uh, uh, and so it's it's uh, something that we invite everyone to to take part in. Uh, this is a chance for you to actually get to um, have someone listen to you, and a chance for you to get to listen to someone else and to bring God into the center of it. Um, so uh, uh, let me know if you have any questions. Uh, and let me know if you would like to take part in this this next go around with it. Now, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. This is God's word. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. That utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God. As we get close to the end of our series in Ephesians, Paul is focusing on Struggle. He's focusing on Christian struggle. When you become a Christian, you expect to begin a struggle that will continue until the end of your earthly life. And, and maybe there are two kinds of earthly struggle. There's, there's the, first of all, there's this struggle to be a better person. The struggle to improve. We call this sanctification, It's the lifelong process in which God's Holy Spirit works in you by free grace and he renews you. He renews believers after the image of God. More and more what you find in this struggle is that as you more and more die unto sin, you live unto righteousness as the Shorter Catechism describes it. The goal in this struggle is to become like Jesus and that is a struggle as God is working it in you. But there's another kind of struggle. There's this other struggle, and it's it's in some ways related to the first struggle. It's it's that God's enemy resists him. God has an enemy, and that enemy is resisting him. Specifically, as as we explored last week, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the schemes of a devil. From, from the beginning, this devil resisted God and God's kingdom. And and in that struggle, we're, we're part of that. We get drawn into it. There's, there's side splash that, that in, has an impact on us. Their struggle overflows. Their struggle feeds into your struggle, your sanctification struggle. And so that means if you're a Christian, things like, like your your mom guilt, that's part of your struggle for sanctification. And that means if you're a Christian, things like, Your trip home this Thanksgiving and and whatever anticipated dicey conversations that you, you may encounter with your relatives, that's all part of your struggle for sanctification. That's all part of the struggle between the kingdoms that are in conflict. That's going on as well. Now, can I ask you a question as we begin? How are you doing with your struggle? How are you doing with it? Do you feel like in your struggle, in this struggle, do you feel like you're seeing any progress? Or maybe more pointedly, do others who know you, do others who know you feel like they see progress in you, in this struggle? And, and with all of that and, and this, this talk of is there progress? Am, am I progressing? Is there any change? Do people see change? Are you discouraged? Are you discouraged in this struggle? Are you feeling like a failure? Are you feeling like all you do in, in your place in this struggle, all you do is you just end up apologizing all the time. You're always asking for forgiveness for your many sins. Well, our text is addressing the struggle, and wherever you are in the struggle, and in this struggle, this is what we see today. You have to stand on God's success. You must stand on on God's success. And so here's what we we must do. First of all, you've got to stand on God's success. Secondly, you've got to employ God's surpassing protection. And then thirdly, you've got to get strength for the struggle. You've got to stand on God's success. You've got to employ God's surpassing protection. And then you've got to get strength for the struggle. So first of all, let's Let's look at what it means to stand on God's success. And the text here, it's making a military soldier analogy for our struggle. There's got, you've got this enemy, you're in an army and you've got an opposing force, the enemy, the devil is coming against you and you've got to stand against him, he says. Verses 13 and 14. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore. So he tells them in this military soldier analogy, he tells them, stand. Stand against your enemy. It means, it means that you are starting by 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 telling them stand. It means you start. Today, you start from a position of victory not loss. And, and this is a mindset that you, you've got to, to adopt and, and, and see your life and your struggle through these lenses. In this military image, God won a key battle. And God advanced and he, he took enemy territory. And so now he's directing his people. He's saying, I took this hill. I took it. Now you stand and don't let the enemy get it back. He's saying, stand in my success and don't give it up. Now, that makes all the difference. That, that's a shift in our perspective. It, it's, because it's one thing to be in a squad of, of soldiers, and that battle hasn't happened yet. And, and, and you're in the squad of soldiers, and you're standing outside of the enemy fortifications, and you're staring up at this cliff, and it's a defended cliff, and you're seeing these huge walls at the top of the cliff that you're going to have to overcome. And, and if you were standing there and you were looking up at that, that's daunting, that's intimidating. And, and you might be standing there wondering, is this going to succeed? Will we be able to advance and take that? But it's another thing, isn't it? It's a completely different picture to already be inside of the enemy's base and to, to be able to say, we've already destroyed the enemy's walls. We have already stormed the base. We have already routed the enemy's forces. They're scattered. Our site has already planted flags and has already taken this hill. And now, now our orders, our orders are just to stand. It's less daunting, right? It, it, it seems in some ways like the big thing has already been achieved because you're standing already in a place of success. So for us, for, for those who are Christians, what is this position of victory? What is this? Well, Paul discussed this earlier already. He discussed it earlier in the document. The victory is Christ's resurrection and ascension. The victory on which we stand is Jesus Christ's resurrection and his ascension. It's when Jesus gave up his life on the cross, the crucifixion, and when Jesus rose again to life, his resurrection, and then Jesus not only was raised from the dead, Jesus rose even higher. He rose from earth to heaven to take his throne, his ascension. Remember earlier how he brought this up in Ephesians, this, this victory in which we're, we're to stand. Ephesians 1, 20. He raised him. God raised Christ. There's the resurrection from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, that's Christ ascended, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things in the church. Christ is risen. Christ is ascended. Christ is over all things past, all things in ages to come. And so that's a victory. And in this, in that resurrection of Jesus, and in that ascension of Jesus, God accomplished a huge victory. God exercised massive power. It's now a case study for all future spiritual military academies. Ephesians 1.19 calls the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ in the resurrection, in the ascension. It was a win. It was a win. And that means in your struggle today as a Christian, your problem with, maybe it's your sanctification, struggle with impatience. Maybe it's your battle with with fear and worry and anxiety. You are standing on a battleground which God dominated, where God already successfully deployed exceeding great power and swept your real enemy off the field. And so now you must stand. There you must stand. Christ already prevailed in the key battle. Now just hold the ground of his victory. Now think of that perspective in your struggle Maybe maybe this is part of the flavor of your struggle. Maybe in your struggle, your body, your health is a wreck. You've lost so much of your health. Or, or maybe part of the features, the, 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 the stage setting for your struggle is your family is a wreck, and you don't know if, if it's going to be able to come back together. Or it's your financial security. The, the boat is filling with water, and it's, it's sinking. None of that feels like you're standing in a place of success. But Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, you're saying, I, I'm just not seeing it. Maybe you feel like you've lost. But believer, I am telling you this morning, you stand in a position of victory, of Christ's victory today. And, and, and how, do you, how do you know that? How can you just get the grasp of that? Jesus hit the bottom already. You, you feel like you're at the bottom? Jesus already bottomed out long before and much lower than you've ever gone. Jesus hit the bottom with humiliation, his humiliation, humiliation, so low, so low he descended from the heights of heaven to a grave hole on the earth. And his body was ruined, it was shattered, and the Son of God was dead. The Son of God was dead. That's as low as it gets. But... By his resurrection, he lives. And by his ascension, he rose to the high place in the highest place. Now, don't you see how that changes everything, everything about what you've lost and about everything in your life that's broken today? If you are Christ's, then your death was his death and his resurrection is your resurrection. For if we, Romans 6 says, for if we, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's the reality on which you can stand today. And his ascension is, will be your ascension and, and it attaches to you now and, and, and it attaches you to the renewal of all the creation, the ultimate repair of everything that's broken, including your broken heart. And so that's why we can say that if you're a believer, you stand today in a position both of victory won and of victory to come. The, resurre- the resurrection means whatever it is that you are now mourning, Jesus can restore it. And the ascension, his ascension means however low you now are, Christ will bring you to himself, up, up, out of the depths, to a high and to a glorious place of safety. And so even if today, if if today for you is the day of your undoing, it's the day of disaster, and all that you can see around you are just broken pieces, Jesus won. And Jesus will win. And the challenge today is to stand in God's success. Now, let's move into this some more. So we have to stand on God's success. And God gives us help to stand. God gives us help to stand. How? Well, next, you have to employ God's surpassing protection. You've got to employ God's surpassing protection for you as you stand. Now, this, this is part of how you can tap in to God's victory, Verses 14 through 17 enumerate the pieces of God's armor. And let's, let's talk about some of these pieces of armor and, and what it means to, to take them up, what it means to, to put them on, because this is an image. So if, if you scan over those verses, verses 14 through 17, you see six parts in this protective equipment that God supplies, this armor. Verse 14, there's truth girding your waist like a war belt. There's righteousness covering your torso. There's the preparation of the gospel of peace as if they're military boots. There's faith above else, which is is a shield. There's salvation. It's like a helmet. And then there's the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Now we're going to talk about just the first three this week. The last three next week we will get to. Let me just make some initial general observations about this this armor, these different pieces of armor. Sometimes this armor is called the, the panoply of God. Every piece of the protective armor, it comes from God. You didn't have to forge it. You didn't have to find it. It comes from God, and he gives it to you. He supplies what you need to be protected in this, to be protected when you stand. For instance, truth, right? There's truth. Gird your waist with truth. That truth, that comes from God. We're not talking about, people like to talk about this is my truth. What's your truth? This is truth from God. Truth comes from God. There's salvation, right? The helmet of salvation. That also, it comes from God. There's no other place to be rescued, to find salvation. People are looking for something to solve their problems. They're looking for a salvation. This salvation, it comes from God. And then there's faith. Right, Faith, the shield, faith is a gift. The word tells us it also comes from God. Every piece of the armor comes to you from the armor of God. And so I want you to be encouraged just at the outset looking at this. God supplies what you need. He supplied every piece of this armor. He supplies what you need to stand. God is invested in your success. God is invested in making sure you will be able to be safe while you stand. Another general observation about this armor of God, every piece that's listed here, it ties very concretely to something earlier in the letter to the Ephesians, something earlier in the, in the epistle mentions each one of these six things, truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, this word of God, all of them reference something earlier in the epistle. And, and so this helps us know how to interpret Some of these things which are, they're given just kind of blankly with just this image. It's like a helmet. It's like a sword. It's like a shield. One last general observation before we start looking at the individual parts. Every part will protect you as you stand in the evil day. Every part will protect you and you must put on every single part, every piece of it. Verse 13 emphasizes this. Take up the whole armor of God, put on the whole armor of God. So the Roman soldier, which is the image that Paul is drawing here, the Roman soldier then had a, a protective metal plate across his whole torso. He also had military footwear that he would wear to protect his feet, to, to protect the soles of his feet. He also had a metal helmet, and he, and he had a shield. And what he's saying is you, you wouldn't, a soldier would not show up for battle with just a shield and no helmet. Don't show up with a sword, but no shield. When things are coming at you, when, when you're in the struggle and things are coming at you, the shield of faith can protect you and keep you standing. And when things are flying at your face, the gospel of peace can protect you and keep you standing. Every part protects you. You've got to employ all of the parts. Don't, don't major just on the footwear or just a shield. So employ all of God's protection. Now let's look at the first three parts from this armor of God. And this week we'll look at the, the first three of them. First of all, truth. And it says in verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. So you've got truth. Truth is pictured here as the war belt. It's the war belt that you were issued by the armorer. Well, what is this truth? How do you gird it around yourself? How do you get protected by this, this truth? Well, what is the truth? Truth, when, when it's used in the New Testament, it has two emphases. Truth can just be the word of God, the inerrant inspired writings, the scriptures. The Bible is the most true thing that you can read because the author, God, never lies in John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So truth, when used in the New Testament, it also has a, a, another frequent sense. Truth can refer to the, the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God, but truth can also refer to this one specific truth, the gospel of grace. Earlier in, in this same epistle, Paul is speaking about this sense of truth. Ephesians 1, 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So the word of truth can especially be talking about the gospel of your salvation. And and Paul likely has both senses in view here. Well, that's what the truth is. How do you wrap it around you? How do you gird yourself with this truth? Are we talking about literally like, Wearing Bible verses around your wrist, wearing it as a headband. How, how do you get spiritual protection with this truth? Well, here's how. We're talking about the context is we're talking about battle, spiritual battle. And so maybe for you, the features in your battle, the turmoil is is outside of you. Maybe your your, your weekly schedule is just chaotic, and you are overloaded and overwhelmed by it. Or maybe you're living with a chaotic person and so a lot of the features of the turmoil it's outside of you but maybe at the same time the turmoil the battle is inside of you for instance places like Psalm 94 19 it talks about how the the multitude of my anxieties within me the multitude of my troubles in my heart when you're overwhelmed and you're anxious and you're firing and revving way too high and you just can't tell how, to, how do I interpret the situation and, and how do I interpret my own heart. You're just overwhelmed inside. That's where the turmoil is centered. You've got to wrap this truth around your waist. You've got to wrap this truth around your waist and that would be, that would be like this. You tell yourself whatever is going on, whatever is going on in the world and whatever is going on with that puzzling person that I can't decipher and whatever's going on in my tangled messed up heart. This I know. God's word is true. And so wrap something like Psalm 94 around you. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. That means you you may have to pour over the word, pour over the Bible. Open your Bible and, and get your bearings from from something that starts to pull things together from your Bible and this is also what it can look like when your heart is churning with with fear or maybe your heart is churning with rage maybe you can't even just figure out what am I feeling maybe you can't figure yourself out why am I so scared how is this mess going to turn out wrap this truth wrap this truth around you whatever happens to me this I know that Jesus loved me, that Jesus gave himself for me, and that Jesus saved me, and that Jesus will come to me when I cry out to him. Wrap yourself in the truth of, of the Heidelberg Catechism, question one. <coughs> that Question one asks, what is your only comfort in life and death? The answer, that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me, so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yes, that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Life is breaking down. Your, your mind is unraveling. Maybe you can only understand just 30% of your situation. Maybe you can only understand... of your own heart. But you can be 100% certain that Jesus committed himself to you and secured you through his life, his death, and his resurrection, and his return. In life or death, you belong to the Lord. And in that way, though you are in a struggle, you stand on God's success. Wrap yourself in that truth Now the next piece of armor Verse 14 he says Put on the breastplate of righteousness The breastplate was this Protective armor plate That would cover your entire torso And it's righteousness It's righteousness Righteousness has twin emphases. There's a, a behavioral emphasis And there's a judicial Emphasis So righteousness speaks of of right behavior. Matthew five sixteen, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. So that's righteousness, behavioral righteousness. So that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. A Christian is, is not saved, is not rescued by good works. But a Christian is saved to do good works. So there's behavioral righteousness, but there's also judicial righteousness. And, and righteousness is judicial. It, it speaks of right standing before the judge, right standing with God. Romans 5, 18, through one man, Jesus, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And so what he's saying there is, because of what Jesus suffered and what Jesus did, you have the approval of God the judge. In the gospel, God puts on Jesus all of your wrongdoings, charges, and he punishes Jesus in your place, and the judge declares you to be righteous because of all the good that Jesus has ever done. Paul has both emphases in mind: righteous behavior and judicial Righteousness. <clears throat> Ephesians, earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, he says, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, that's behavioral righteousness, put it off, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And what he's saying there is because Christ is your righteousness, and because Christ is your approval, now you go. Go live with behavior which is righteous. You're standing in his success. You see how that's a position of success? He did the righteousness, and now it's been given to you. Stand in his success. Now think about that in the hour of your struggle. Think about the significance of righteousness in the hour of struggle Now, this is is a piece of the Lord's battle protection for you, the breastplate of righteousness. When things are flying and and they're just going back and forth and and your feelings, the the, the situation is very charged and intense and there are all kinds of temptations abounding in your own heart, all around you. You're tempted to retaliate when someone wrongs you. You're tempted to to spiral down into self-pity and and self-preoccupation. To be able to behave righteously under those circumstances, to be able to behave righteously when your chips are down, when the day is evil, to be able to choose the path of obedience, of sacrifice, to be able to choose the path of patient love when you're the one who's suffering and being catching all of this fire that's coming at you, that is so significant and that will protect you. To be able to treat your enemy in the moment, not with insult, but with kindness. And instead of feeling sorry for yourself on one, yet again, one more lonely, single Friday night. And, and, and instead of feeling sorry for yourself and falling into substance indulgence or sexual indulgence. Instead to be able to, to walk in the righteousness of Christ. When finances are tight, but still you're honest and you don't cheat, and you don't steal? Who's righteous, whose righteousness are we talking about with this breastplate of righteousness? We're talking about your righteousness? Are we talking about your strong moral performance? No, we're talking about Christ's righteousness imputed to you, fully covering your torso. God approves of you because of Christ, because of Christ's success. Now you wear it, live it, especially in the day of your disappointment. The next piece of armor, the gospel of peace, verse 15, he says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, the Roman armor also included, they were issued protective footwear, covering the soles of their feet, covering the tops of their feet, and and here in this analogy, it's the gospel of peace. Now, you children who are listening, who who take notes, draw your, your pictures, do you know about the gospel in this Place in the armor what is the gospel the gospel is a good announcement the good announcement that Jesus lived for me and died for me and because of Jesus my sins are forgiven I repent I believe and Jesus will return to make all things right it's a gospel of reconciliation God reconciling himself to his enemies to sinners God's wrath satisfied when his son died on the cross. Now that battle, that battle is done. It's over. And God is at peace with those who rebelled and now believe and receive him. Now if you're listening to this and and you're not a Christian, we're very glad to have you with us. And I need to ask you a question. Are you at peace? Are you at peace with other people? And is God at peace with you? How does God view you? How does God view you? Is is God looking at you as a friend? Is God looking at you as an enemy? It's a question you've got to settle. You've got to settle that question. And if you're listening to this, and, and you are a Christian, are you at peace? Are you at, at the core, inside... Are you at peace? Are you at peace with other people? One of the the most wonderful tensions in Christianity is that because you have peace with God, you can have peace inside yourself even if you're in the worst storm of your life. I recently spoke to our, our, our sister, Millie, whose cancer has advanced further and her body is in worse shape than it was a month ago, two months ago. And, and she knows where all of this is headed. But she has peace. She has It's almost this unflappable peace. She's not afraid. She knows Jesus. And she knows that Jesus will carry her across the river of death. And she knows that Jesus will receive her into his bright and joyful place that he has been preparing for her. Thousands of years. Millie has peace because of the gospel of peace. And Christians, you're you're called to be heralds, announcers of this peace, to wear the branding, to provide free advertising for this peace message. And if you think about it, it's it's somewhat bizarre. Do you see the significance, the, the oddness of? heralding peace in the day of battle maybe your heart is troubled today but Jesus has made peace and and you step into that peace Let let the peace of Jesus override the trouble of your heart in your heart and maybe maybe not just inside you maybe you're in contact maybe you have to live with or work with people who are not at peace they're not at peace not at peace with others, they're not at peace with God, they're unhappy, maybe God is unhappy with them, can you go to them? Are you ready to go to them and, and to offer the gospel of peace? To, to, to have this, this offer where, where you can say, friend, you don't have to keep fighting God. That's exactly what Jesus does. This is earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians two. It says, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who were near. He himself is our peace. He abolished the hatred, the enmity. The readiness of the gospel of peace means that you've got this this orientation that's outward. You've got an outward-looking orientation. It means you're looking, you're scanning. You long for a chance to offer the gospel of peace to people. You find something just lovely about offering the gospel of peace. It's, it's Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings gospel, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, how does that protect you in the day of conflict? Well, for one thing, if you're you're shod with this, if you're wearing this, this readiness of the gospel of peace, it keeps you from becoming self-centered in your struggle, in your pain. The battle is hard, and you will take hits, and it will hurt. Your kids may disrespect you. Your application may get turned down, and their next application may get turned down. It's easy when that happens to become overly introspective, to get stuck in just puzzling through your disappointment and frustrations and to keep asking questions that you will not find the answer to. But the preparation of the gospel of peace keeps you from drowning in self-pity. It helps you to see more than just your problems. It helps you start to look outside of your sadness and you start to see all around you the other person How can you share the peace of God through Christ with them? Now, we're going to look at the rest of the armor next week, but I'm going to close with this. You have to stand on God's success. You've got to employ God's protection. You've got to put on all the pieces of the armor. And and this is this new way of thinking, this new way of thinking about the conflict that you might be having with this this person in your life who's so tricky to deal with. It's a new way of, of responding to the turbulence in your crazy, turbulent career. You've got to put on this thing that's outside of yourself, and it just sounds uncomfortable and foreign, this helmet, this shield, this military boots, this war belt, but you've got to put it on. God has given it to you. You've got to keep putting it on. You've got to keep wrapping yourself with this truth. Keep wearing the righteousness. But you say it—it just—it feels so foreign. It just feels weird. Like this whole image, putting parts onto my body, and you feel like I just don't get. I don't have the hang of it. I am just a failure at putting on the whole armor of God. And it, you just—you just feel like the biggest failure. You can't just get it on. You can't keep it on. It keeps falling off. What's wrong? You have to see. Jesus in the gospel. In the gospel, Jesus is the one who put on something that was utterly unfamiliar. Instead of putting on what was entirely natural to him, instead of putting on his glory, his holiness, and clothing himself with honor, Jesus put on himself, he put onto himself, something utterly foreign. Your sin, your guilt, your shame. And he made it fit. And he wore it for you. Jesus wore your unrighteousness so that you could wear his righteousness. It's given to you. And because it's given to you, as you're clothed in it, God sees you as righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. God accepts you. God approves of you if you will believe. Now how can you tell? How can you tell if you've got it on? How can you tell if you're wearing this armor, if you're putting on this armor from someone else? Well, here's one way that you can tell. It's when this is the conversation in your head. You're able to say, I am so weak that I have to clothe myself with the strength and and the righteousness of somebody else. You're wearing his success. You're standing on his success. And here's how you can tell if you're you're starting to get the, the hang and the fit of this armor you stop keeping score. You stop keeping score on yourself. You stop keeping score on other people. Now, sometimes we all, we all get caught up in keeping score, keeping our score. It's like, it's like we've got this running tracking line on this little graph of our performance. And, and it's this running tracking line about our sins. If, if, I, if I sinned, I resented my boss. I, I I said something that was wrong. The line, my score, it dips down. Oh, oh, but if I, if I, if I wasted my time at work, I, I wasn't a faithful laborer. Oh, the line dips down even more. My, my line's going down. If you wear this armor, if you're keeping it on, you stand because your score is irrelevant. Jesus' score is the only score that counts. His score became your score in God's point-keeping. And so you're free. You are free to keep standing and striving against sin, but without the fear that your score is dropping. And that keeps you from pride. That will, that will keep you walking in humility. And, and, and so you're not caught up with keeping score on other people's failures. It's like Peter who, who looked back at John and said, well, Lord, what about him? What about him? What about her? It's just not your business. The Lord will set a course for him. The Lord will set a course for her. You don't have to worry about it. It's when you're weak. It's when you know you're weak, then you are strong. And so stand on Christ's success. Let's pray. We come to you, Lord, and we marvel that you have won the victory for the most important battle at the most important time and for another people. And we, we receive your victory. We receive what Christ has done on our behalf. And Lord, now, we pray that by your Spirit, you would work in us and enable us to stand, to enter more and more into our sanctification, to stand and resist the schemes, the temptations, the delusions that the enemy would try to to persuade us about, enable us to wrap ourselves in the truth that we are Christ's and he is ours, and be glorified among us to the very end, we pray. Amen.